Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. is what is the date today i almost feel like it mixed up there it's a february 15th 2024 as long as at least i didn't say 2023 right uh but i was about to say march 15th because i'm uh, i'm getting excited for baseball spring training which is starting to gear up in arizona and in florida uh but but at the last second i got it right february 15th i am your host of course mike abadir and uh you know this kind of time of year where you know, NFL winds down, MLB starts winding up, NBA's headed towards their all-star break, but there's really nothing that is dominating the headlines more than the Kansas City Chiefs. Leading up to the Super Bowl, we talked about it last week, there's a lot of conspiracy theories, the Super Bowl itself, everything involving the game, the Taylor Swift stuff, Usher halftime show, so on and so forth. And then, unfortunately, on through the uh, shooting yesterday at the parade. Very unfortunate. Definitely, my prayers are out for all of the victims to uh, heal and get better. And for those who have lost somebody to uh, find a way to have some peace and and accept this senseless act of violence. But nonetheless, overall, I would say it's maybe one of the odder Super Bowls in terms of everything surrounding the game, outside of the game, the banter, the speculation, the wild conspiracies that were thrown out. It was on and on and on. And I really hope that that doesn't take away from how epic and legendary Patrick Mahomes has demonstrated himself to be. And that's what I want to spend some time talking about today on today's show. Because, you know, I was just asked by by my man Jordan right before we started the show, you know, does this now, you know, put put the, the... the Chiefs and Mahomes in, into that dynasty sphere. And, you know, look, in, in, in modern-day sports, repeat wins are really, really difficult, first and foremost. You know, they said it even during the telecast. The Chiefs are the first team that won back-to-back, I think, in 19 or 20 years. So just to even get back-to-back Super Bowls is really a rem- remarkable feat. But to go to as many Super Bowls as Mahomes has gone to, to win three of them, putting him in rare company, these are all things that don't happen very often, especially in a small window of years, if you will. The small window in terms of, see, like when you look at, the 49ers in the 80s, for example, with Joe Montana, they won it in 81. Their 84 team beat the Dolphins in the Super Bowl. 88, uh, you know, beating the Bengals. 89, beating the Broncos. You know, that was, you know, four Super Bowls in a, what, nine-year period or whatever it was. But here's the thing about it. At that time, there was no salary cap. So, you know, you have like wealthy owners like Eddie DeBartler Jr. who's willing to open up his pocketbook, retain all his stars, go after bigger stars. That was kind of the name of the game back then. You know, it was kind of like Steinbrenner-esque with the Yankees, but with football. Today's day and age, you have a salary cap. And Basically, what it really ultimately means is you can't keep everybody. You know, if you have a championship team, you're not going to be able to keep all the guys from your championship because 
some move on as free agents to go after bigger dollar amounts, right? Some other contracts on the team escalate, making it to where they have to get rid of somebody that they don't want to get rid of. But that's just the name of the game. They have to fit it within a salary cap. And so it becomes virtually impossible to keep your entire team intact. So when you're able to win, regardless of the way this is set up, it really, really, really is something to marvel at. And I don't use the word dynasty lightly, you know, but what we saw in New England was otherworldly. What we're seeing here in Kansas City, same. I'm going to go out and say if, if I was a general manager and I could draft 22-year-old Patrick Mahomes or 22-year-old Tom Brady right now, I'd take Mahomes. And it wouldn't, I wouldn't even have a second thought about it. You know, Mahomes is one of those guys that truly elevates any team that he's on. And I'm not saying that Brady doesn't. But in my mind, Mahomes is a better quarterback. And it was difficult to argue that without having what football fans want to see, which is championship rings. Even statistically, you know, Mahomes is kind of a rarefied company with like Dan Marino and stuff. But now with the bling bling, the championships, the comebacks, these are all things that are a part of the lore of what we know as Patrick Mahomes. And as far as I'm concerned, when you're talking about elevating an offense, yes, he's had Travis Kelsey throughout. But let's face it, has he had, you know, a dominant running back behind him? You know, he had Cheetah, Tyreek Hill for a while. But outside of him, has he had a dominant receiver or multiple receivers? Definitely doesn't have anything like what they have in Cincinnati, right? Where they got a couple of studs over there, or even in, with Minnesota, with Justin Jefferson and Addison, Jordan Anderson, Addison. I mean, right now, Chiefs really don't have, I mean, any receiver to get excited about um, outside of the rookie who really turned it on in the second half, Rashi Rice. But otherwise, you know, we're talking about an offense with an older Kelsey, no dominant running backs. Yes, I understand Pacheco came on the scene and you know, had a nice second half as well. But overall, I mean, just over the years during this entire run, you know, they haven't had a dominant, dominant running game at all. It's all about Patrick Mahomes. He scrambles for the first down when it's needed. He makes the completions for a first down when it's needed. He takes them downfield when needed. I, I don't think I've ever seen somebody I felt as confident with when they're down with under two minutes left as I do Patrick Mahomes. It's like a no-brainer. Like, you give him the ball, he's going to win. More than Aaron Rodgers. Not even say more than, like, Brady and Montana. I want to see the stat is something like seven for seven is Patrick Mahomes down when he's down by, like, double digits in the playoffs. Seven for seven in those, in those two-minute drives. Two, seven for seven in making that comeback in the most pressure of situations. I mean, that's just unbelievable that a defense has never been able to stop him in the postseason when they needed to get a stop. 11 guys have not been able to stop one dude. That, my friends, is what I call greatness. And 
I'll add, I'll add to it with this. And look, when you're, when you're trying to like make arguments, let's just even say like Jordan and Kobe and LeBron, you know, uh, maybe uh, Will Chamberlain or somebody, Magic Johnson, Kareem, you know, top five players of all time, let's just say. When you're debating those guys, because they're all so good, the only way to be able to, like, get your tiebreakers is to nitpick a little bit. You know, oh, well, you know, Shaquille O'Neal wasn't a great free throw shoot. Yeah, but he was dominant in everything else. You know, so labeling him the top center of all time isn't offensive because one aspect of his game wasn't dominant like the other 10 aspects of his game, right? But that's what you have to do when you're trying to figure out the best of the best. In the spirit of doing that, when I compare, you know, Brady and Mahomes, Brady is the logical one because he kind of passed the torch off to Mahomes, right? He was the guy that was a part of the dynasty. He passed the torch to Patrick. And what... I would say, if I'm trying to nitpick against Brady, is this. Brady had the luxury every season of playing the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Bills during some really, really bad times for the Jets, Dolphins, and Bills. So in a 16-game season, he had six games where he pretty much went five and one every year against them. Maybe four and two. When you have that kind of lay-down schedule every year, and you're the best team in the division, you're going to be winning divisions. Okay. And when you have a lot of gimme wins, you're going to get some home games in the playoffs. So I think the Patriots were really the beneficiary of having a home field in a freezing arena, freezing environment, just about every year for, for Brady. That was one of the things that I liked about this year for Mahomes is that when dissecting these guys, we can now look at Mahomes and say he went on the road and beat the best teams in the, in the NFL in crunch time. You know, went to Buffalo, got the win. Went to Baltimore, got the win. Neutral site, got the win against the 49ers. That's all the number one seeds and the two seeds that they faced. So... The, the road success is there. But typically speaking, you know, yeah, I get it. The Raiders haven't been that great in that division. You know, the Broncos kind of up and down. Chargers kind of up and down. Um, but definitely not as pathetic as the Jets, Dolphins, and Bills during those seasons for Brady. Now, the one thing that Brady accomplished that to me – really elevated him into a different stratosphere. Because even up until his last day with the Patriots, I still was of the mindset that, you know, I would still take a Montana over him or even a Dan But it wasn't until he went to Tampa Bay and won the Super Bowl there, where now, like, you don't have that negative argument anymore, which is he's a winner in Belichick's system. He got approved. He's a winner in every system. And I think that was one of the big reasons why he wanted to continue playing to get that Super Bowl. I really feel that that's the case. He knew that that would cement it and leave him with very, very little negatives for people to poke at. You know, the one I mentioned is probably the only one. It's probably the only potential negative that remains. Schedule. Virtually a guaranteed path to home games in the playoffs. 
hey, Brady can only deal with what is, you know, thrown out in front of him. And he did it each and every year. And we all know as sports fans, the teams that are supposed to win don't always win. That was the case. Baltimore Ravens won the one this year, right? They're pretty dominant. They earned that number one seed in dominating fashion. They went and whooped up on some of the best in football towards the end of that season. But it doesn't always happen that way. And I think that's why playoff wins elevate somebody's status, especially football, as much as they do. Because let's face it, the season's only 16 games. I mean, can you imagine like if they played 16 basketball games for a season or baseball games? When you play that few, you're going to put a lot of emphasis on the ones that really count. I mean, it's almost like the regular season in a way is almost looked at as like a there's preseason and there's regular season, you know, and those are good for stats and awards and stuff like that. But the real season is the playoffs. It's kind of how, how football players are judged. Unlike baseball, right? Because baseball, it's, oh, he got 3,000 hits. Oh, this guy won the batting title, seven years. He got 200 hits, five out of seven years. You know, he struck out 200 batters in consecutive years. He exceeded 200 innings. He has nine gold gloves. All of those kind of things mean a lot because they were done over 162. And so whether you even built a playoff legacy or not, you're still evaluated amongst the all-time greats. Mentioned amongst the all-time greats if you're great in the 162. You don't have that as much in football. I mean, you have to be really, really remarkable to have done, you know, not that much in the, in the postseason and still be considered amongst the greats. You know, even when you look at all of the quarterbacks that are considered greats, I mean, I don't think there's a single one that didn't even get to a Super Bowl. You know, maybe Dan Fouts or something, you know, I don't think he got to a Super Bowl. But it's very few, especially for the quarterback position. Let's take a quick timeout. We'll come back to the conversation of me sitting here and praising Patrick Mahomes. Stay with us, everyone. We will be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back for the second segment of the Mike Abadir Show. We've been talking about the Super Bowl and Patrick Mahomes and the legacy and how to evaluate him amongst the all-time greats. You know, look, in any way, shape, or form, whichever way you slice it or dice it, the guy is just super calm and collected. He's not arrogant. He's got a really friendly demeanor. You could tell that he's a guy that, first of all, let me say this. Let me back up. Talk about his background real fast. So his dad played in the major leagues, played major league baseball for 10 years. Right? So Patrick Mahomes was used to the clubhouse, the pro sports setting, the pressure of professional sports. All of those things were in his DNA. He grew up with that right in front of his eyes. And I think it benefited him. I think he soaked it all in. You know, he didn't have any pressure, you know, to get his family out of a rough neighborhood. You know, he didn't have that pressure of having to be the savior for the family. He was already in a nice situation. Comes from a good background, good parents, Good family environment. Sees what it takes to be a good professional teammate. You know, all of those things Patrick Mahomes came to the league with already. Not very many people could say that. Not very many people could say that when they were kids, their dad pre-game, had them down on the field with them every game. So there was no aspect of Patrick Mahomes of being starstruck or this is too grand of a setting for me or anything like that. It's almost like a no-pressure thing. And I think he exemplifies the demeanor. You know, he, he he's never had a look of despair. Not a single time that I've looked at the guy have I felt any sense of despair with him. I, and I look, I, I think I, I look I the other guy that you could say that about was Ken Griffey Jr. It was the same exact thing. Ken Griffey Jr. grew up in clubhouses as well. And he came into the league as a natural. He succeeded as a natural. Never for a single moment looked like the game was too big for him. You know, I think that those are, those are advantages that they were able to bring with them to the league. Now, mind you, a lot of athletes have kids. And the vast majority of those athletes that have kids aren't going to see their kids make it to the major leagues or to the NFL or the NBA. So I'm always impressed when you do see it, when they achieve even greater success than their father did. You know, another example from the NBA is Steph Curry or Clay Thompson. Those are two really good examples. And I think that the reason that I reason that I highlight it is because with every one of those guys that I've mentioned, you, sp- you find one commonality. And it's aside from having like a winning attitude, a winning spirit, a winning demeanor, you know, that Kobe type of like, uh, you know, Mamba, get after it type of mentality. No, I'm not talking about that. 
which of course they all have, but I think they have something even greater, which is the ability to lead, the ability to be team players to such an extent that they make everybody around them genuinely better. That every single person that steps on that field with them has a good chance for success by the mere fact that they are there and they're going to elevate everybody's game around them. And that's what Patrick Mahomes does. And that's why, to link this back up with what I was saying in the beginning, he hasn't had to have Pro Bowl running backs and receivers to achieve success because he'll take what is given to him and elevate everybody's play to the point to where they're all making plays. You know, and that's why you have several guys that, you know, were super key, excuse me, in big situations in, in that game. Because he put every single person in a position to be able to achieve success when it counted. And it didn't matter how much the, how many drops the guy had in, in the regular season or anything relating to the previous few months. Everybody settled in real well. And, you know, they all played a very good game, uh, virtually a mistake-free Super Bowl. Virtually. Of course, you're never going to have zero mistakes. But, you know, Chiefs had very little. They didn't have really, like, any bad penalties. The defense got stops when they needed to. Uh, you know, all in all, you know, I would say that for having 59 rushing yards from your top running back, Isaiah Pacheco, 59 is not a lot, right? We're, we're, we're accustomed to having 120, 130 yards from your big running backs in the NFL. And then outside of Kelsey, no receiver had more than three receptions. Oh, excuse me. I take that back. Rushy Rice had six. Excuse me. Um, but when you look at the distribution, not many might even know this, but he had 34 completions. Patrick Mahomes had 34 completions. That's a lot of completions to a lot of different guys. And when you look, boom, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Nicole Hardman, key touchdowns when they needed it most. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, he only had 20 yards in the whole game. But he had a big touchdown, 16-yarder. So 20 of, out of the 20 yards, 16 came on one play, which was a really, really important touchdown. How about Nicole Hardman? who really wasn't like a huge factor this season. You know, you really didn't hear about Nicole Hardman that much. But he got the game-winning touchdown. Again, Patrick Mahomes puts everybody in a better situation like no other quarterback I've seen. That's why he could have maybe a little bit above average wide receivers. Now, let me clear something up, by the way. When I say a little bit above average in terms of wide receiver, let's get one thing straight. Every single player in the NFL is really damn good. Right? Every single player in the NFL was, you know, the legend out of his high school, you know, legendary at his university, you know, one of the, the top players at every level that guy played in. And then once he gets to the NFL and he's around the best of the best of the best, you know, then it kind of settles into like a new pecking order, right? Where you have like the very, very best top tier guys, you know, like let's just say Justin Jefferson as an example. And then you have the guys that are trying to work their way up the depth chart at the very bottom. And I'm here to tell you that there is not a lot that separates I'm not going to say the very, very top, because the very, very top of anything are really special, right? But let's just say, you know, 
take off the top 10%, take off the bottom 10%, of that remaining 80%, there's not a lot of differential. I mean, if, if you timed them, they'd all probably run about the same speed. They would all show similar agility. If you put them through a hands competition, you know, they all, all probably have, you know, just as good as hands as one another. So when I say average or a little bit above average, it's not a knock. You know, really, it just means that they're in that big middle tier and that their success is highly dependent on who their quarterback is. You know, you take a middle-of-the-road guy, put him with a remarkable quarterback, they're going to be pretty good. You put him on a team, let's just say the Carolina Panthers, you could put a really good wide receiver on a really bad team. And they may not look as good. Again, I know I'm taking a lot of times to kind of illustrate these points and paint the picture. But I think Mahomes is worthy of this type of analysis. And quietly, he had 66 yards rushing. Quietly, he had 400 total yards rushing and passing. It's like when you look at the result, when you look at the box score, everything matches up. At the end, he hits on all the marks. Every box is checked. And he's now done this year in, year out, six years in a row. Of epic Patrick Mahomes. It's a long period of time, folks. In a league where, as we established, it's very hard to year in, year out, have success. Take a look at like Buffalo and Baltimore, two of the more successful regular season franchises. They don't really do much in the playoffs every year. And I think as so long as they have to go up against Patrick Mahomes, they're probably not going to have a lot of success. Now, I do want to spend a couple moments talking about the 49ers. Because there were a lot of people that were um, upset about how this game went down. Between the mistakes, you know, the fumble, that went, the, the ball that went off of one of the special teams guys inadvertently. It was kind of a give me, give me type of uh, turnover for the Chiefs. It gave them great field position. But Pacheco gave away, you know, a turnover when they were about, to, when the Chiefs were about to score. So that was almost a given seven points that the 49ers benefited from, uh, you know, Pacheco just coughing up the ball. He had a couple fumbles, actually. Um, so he had kind of a mixed bag of a game. But to me, I think the bigger issue is this. A lot of people were upset. A lot of 49ers fans were upset. Uh, you know, that Wilkes got fired as the defensive coordinator. Now, here's the thing. And I said this throughout the year on this show. The 49ers, on an individual basis, their personnel, player by player on that defense, they had the best defense in the NFL. Bar none. Position by position, you analyze it. 49ers had the best defensive unit. But overall, they weren't the best defense in the NFL. The Chiefs were a better defensive unit. They had the better chemistry. The play calling was better. Everything regarding the results from the Chiefs' defense outdid the results of the 49ers' defense. And I think at some point in time, you kind of have to look at it and say, why is this defensive coordinator not getting more out of this team, more production out of this team? 
Why aren't they getting more sacks? Why aren't there more interceptions? Why are there more lower scoring games? Why aren't they getting the stops when they really need them? And I think those are all very fair, very legitimate questions. And I think when they looked at it, they probably didn't want to make a move during the season, especially because they were winning games. But I think ultimately it's one of the things that cost them the Super Bowl. Now, another coaching thing that cost them the Super Bowl also was getting the ball first. You know, in and, and the playoffs, when you get to OT, you don't want the ball first. And there's multiple reasons for that. But that cost them. It cost them in a big, big way. You know, one of, the, one of the obvious ones is that you get a free down if you go second. You get a free down. What do I mean by that? Well, typically, first down, second down, third down, you don't make it. If you have a lot of yards to still go after to get a first down, you punt the ball. But when you get the ball second, and let's just say that first team got a field goal, there is no punting on fourth down. Because you got to go down, drive down the field and score. You have to. So everything becomes four down territory. So now you could call plays with that mindset. They've got four downs to work with instead of three. And then that's what kind of takes the edge off going down the field, knowing that you can get a field goal and keep playing ball. You get a touchdown and win. And it's a very helpless feeling when you're going up against Patrick Mahomes under those circumstances. You would definitely rather go second on offense than first. And, you know, look, that wasn't the only thing that did them in because the Chiefs still had the score. And the 49ers could have scored a touchdown, and neither thing happened. So, you know, all credit due to the Chiefs. 49ers probably had about 10 overall bad mistakes. You know, when you count them up, 10 bad mistakes, which is pretty unbelievable considering this is a team that didn't make a lot of mistakes during the regular season, right? But even their top, top, Offensive player, McCaffrey, he coughed up the ball and got fumbled. So we're up against it. Let's take our final timeout. We'll come back with more Mike Abadir show right after this. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadeershow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back for the final segment on the Mike Abadir Show. A few news and notes from the sports world. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred stepping down in 2029. He's made the announcement. His contract expires January 2029. He's a 65-year-old man that's probably looking at it and is like, you know, I think uh, I think I got five more years in the tank, and then we'll pass the baton to somebody else. He's probably not going to go down in MLB history as the best commissioner, but he has had some innovative success that has come about via his leadership. So, not going to spend a lot of time talking about something that's not going to happen for five more years. But I did think that that was a worthy thing to point out is that Manfred, for all you Manfred haters, he won't be involved at the commissioner level. I believe January 2029 when his contract expires. And for any of you guys that are in your 40s, and you remember that legendary New York Mets team of 86 with Strawberry and Dwight Gooden and Keith Hernandez, all those guys, one of the legendary players, famous spark plug of that team, Lenny Dykstra, he has suffered a stroke. So my prayers to Lenny. Hope he gets better. That guy was just a part of an amazing aura of that 86 Mets team. You know, like I said, if you're old enough to remember those teams, they were a thing of legend. And I could probably spend hours talking about why they were so legendary for you youngins. But believe me when I say it's not common that you'll find somebody that's able to rattle off an entire lineup from a team from like 40 years ago. Okay, but with the New York Mets, you could still name a lot of that lineup, a lot of that pitching staff, even up till this day. It's not just because how good they were. It's also like the type of characters that they had. You know, they're such an entertaining ball club that, that, you know, that's deserving of another show in its entirety, by the way, 86 Mets. I know they have like, you know, 30 and 30s and all those kind of shows uh, about that team. And they definitely are deserving of uh, that type of insight because, you know, it's just, it's just one of the teams where there's so many stories behind the scenes. Not all good, by the way. You know, there are stories of guys doing lines of cocaine between the bats. You know, uh, Dwight Gooden missing. We're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs parade with the unfortunate shooting that happened. The New York Mets parade after they won, Gooden missed it. He was too effed up. Lost track of time. Missed the parade completely. He never went to bed. He was just partying all night long. Mixed a lot of different party favors in doing so. But that's kind of what I'm talking about in terms of like, they were all fantastic performers and each guy had his own unique story that came with him. <laughs> and, and you know, th- they were like a rock band, you know, party like a rock star. You know, that could have been applied to those guys. You know, each one had a different legendary, let's just say, thing that they're known for attached to each person. And it wasn't all partying. It was a lot of different stuff. Uh, I mean, what a, you know, one of the few teams that could even make, they were so interesting that they were a part of the storylines and the plots in the Seinfeld shows, even involving Keith Hernandez and guys like that. So anyways, I probably spent a little bit more time on it than I anticipated, but uh, 
prayers out to Lenny Dykstra and his family. Hope he recovers fully. Uh, and that's all I'll say about that for now. Baseball spring training is uh, almost underway. You have a lot of teams that are reporting. Pitchers and catchers are reporting right about now. Typically every year right around Valentine's Day is when pitchers and catchers report. So uh, I will say this. You know, I'm not super active on social media, but I am on Twitter. And I do kind of uh, scroll through my timeline you know, just about every day. Maybe not spend a lot of time on it, but a few moments here and there throughout the day, just to kind of get caught up on what people are talking about. Also, you sometimes find out about the news first through social media than anywhere else. So uh, what I'll say is this, I've never felt as much hype about an upcoming baseball season as I have this time around. This These last few days, there is a remarkable excitement about this upcoming baseball season. And I don't remember seeing this last year or the year before, the year before that. But there's always excitement, right? Like anytime, you know, we're back to football season, of course, football fans are excited. You know, if you're a basketball fan, when basketball season starts, you're excited, of course. And the same thing for baseball and any other sport. But this is above and beyond the excitement level that I've seen for baseball really for a long, long time. But probably more than any year since social media has become uh, a mainstream thing. I'll tell you that much. Uh, so kind of interested in finding out why, you know, why, why is that the case? Is it because MLB's product is that much better now? It's doing really well, better product than we've seen in a long time uh, or, or what? If anybody has any thoughts about that, feel free to hit me on the Twitter, as my man Pop DiBiase used to say, on the Twitter. That's at Mike Abadir, just my name, Mike Abadir, M-I-K-E-A-B-A-D-I-R, on Twitter. would love to hear from you. Uh, other news and notes. I guess the last one that's probably worth mentioning is that uh, the Dodgers are going to be really good. <laughs> Simply put, if you haven't seen Shohei Otani's like first swings in a Dodger uniform in a batting cage or in a uh, on the spring training baseball field, it's a thing of beauty, man. I mean, this guy's stroke is so effortless. It's, like, joyous to watch. The guy is just that good. Pull up your social media feed, type in Otani first swings as a Dodger, and just take a look at it. The ball flies off his bat. Doesn't look like he's even trying. Maybe the best pure hitting swing I've ever seen, perhaps. I don't know. Definitely up there. That's for sure. Enough for me. It's so good that it's enough for me to talk about it amongst the news notes. And it's not very often that you hear, you hear me talking about a swing <laughs> amongst the news and notes. It just doesn't happen. Uh, but we'll have plenty of time talking about baseball. You know, this is the this is kind of the time of year where you can delve into certain subject matters in greater detail because there's not a lot going on, you know, without football which is probably the weightiest component of the show is talking about football. But in baseball, we also still have some free agent signings that we're awaiting. So that that's something to look forward to over the next couple of weeks. Teams are still putting together the final touches on the roster. How do you guys all feel about where your teams are at? Happy, disappointed, neutral, excited. I think the one team that there's great disappointment in 
in the National League is the Giants, and in the American League is the Red Sox. I think fans expected more. They thought there would be more, more what? More of a push to sign guys to make their teams competitive. You know, and we really haven't seen that. Boston has any kind of mentality outside of cost cutting, cost saving, and, and, and fiscal responsibility for a team that year in, year out draws like more than any other team practically in the majors. You know, Fenway Park is regularly sold out. And I just hope it's not the case where, well, we know it's going to sell out anyway, so there's no need to spend a lot of money to accomplish the same thing. Because the Red Sox have never been like that. So I don't know about this current regime, what's going on with them. They've, you know, changed general managers now. And uh, ultimately, they've gotten rid of some of the best players, you know, like Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts. And they haven't been signing guys on and on and on. But we'll we'll get into all those topics and more as we get uh, closer to opening day as we go on through spring training. Same thing with the Giants, of course. But um, again, I was expecting more. I think the fans were expecting more. But um, you know, sometimes you get surprised and you find that teams knew exactly what they're doing. And the team starts winning. Case in point would be the Giants team that won 108 games a few years ago. Nobody expected that. Uh, there, were, there weren't any big splashy moves going into that season. But somehow, some way, team knew what they were doing in terms of their valuations. So I always say, let's wait and see. But going into these seasons, not a lot of optimism for either team. But that's all the time we have for this week's show, folks. We want to Always thank you, the listener, but I'll start off with Voice America. Thank you to Voice America. Thank you to my team, especially Jordan, who takes good care of us. Most of all, of course, thank you, the listener. Without you, there is no show. We will see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.